Welcome, folks, to the 12th episode of No Conference for Old Men, the podcast where three old guys are talking Houston Cougars basketball with a bit of Big 12 conference coverage as well. And proud members of the GoCoos.com network, the group that provides the deepest and broadest coverage of Houston Cougars content around. Now into our second full week of Big 12 play, our Cougars were left navigating uncharted seas at 1-1 one one in conference play after a tough loss at ISU, where we had a lead late. There was no rest for the weary, as our Houston Cougars had to travel to TCU for another rock fight on the road a few days later. And for a second game in a row, we had the lead late, but couldn't hold on versus TCU. Going down on the road 68-67 with a 1-2 conference record staring in our face and a ranked Texas Tech at the top of the standings coming into the Fertitta Center last night. But after some brilliant coaching and cajoling from Coach Sampson, he had his Houston squad primed and ready for a statement 77-54 home win over Texas Tech. So today we are again all here with Tom Lidiak, former coach, Bill Walker, former player, and myself, Steve Chang, analytics guy for this week's episode. And we'll start off summarizing the two conference games played by our Houston Cougars this past week. Each of us will summarize the key Big 12 game we individually highlighted, then move into a deep preview of the upcoming UCF-BYU games coming up this week. And finally, highlight some additional Big 12 games each of us will be paying attention to. Okay, so let's get right into it. Lots to cover as we again faced two hard-dosed defensive teams this past week. Just seems like a recurring theme in the Big 12, huh, guys? In recapping the two games played, let's start with the TCU game. So, Tom, what are your coach's thoughts on our loss to TCU? Before I get to a, a coaching standpoint, just from a standpoint, the TCU game, like the ISU game, I thought once we got the lead, we were going to pull it out. You know, as Cougar fans, past couple of years, we've won more of these games than, than we lost. Somebody always stepped up, whether it was Tremone Mark or Jamal. The TCU game, we didn't, you know, we we just, like Coach Sampson said, we peed it down our leg. Uh, so from a fan standpoint, those are gut wrenching. I can't imagine what it's like for the coaching staff, you know, to to lose games like that, knowing that you had a lead late. Uh, you know, the ISU game down fourteen nothing, we claw back, we take a lead by one. You know, the TCU game, we have a lead in the first half, we give it up, and, and then it kind of seesaws at the end, and you know, we take a four point lead late in the game. It looks like we're going to pull this one through. We allow a three pointer to Tennyson which gets me to our defense in the second half. I just, you know, we gave up 39 points uh, the first part of the second half. I just didn't think our defense was was very good good at all. It was uncharacteristic. We started the game off uh, in typical fashion, kind of a slow start on offense. You know, our offense still looked like, you know, f- five cats trying to hump a basketball. Very, very ugly. We had a 23-11 lead, and we let them back in the game uh, – Two things that contributed to that, I think, was Shed getting his second foul. And for a veteran player like Jamal, that second one he picked up was not good. It was, uh, like I said, very uncharacteristic. He was chasing a guy. He had made a he had made a mistake. You know, he's chasing the ball down, and he reaches in, grabs a guy's arm. So he's got to be an assistant coach the rest of the half. That definitely had an effect on TCU being able to get back in the game. And then we just started fouling too much. We had 15 fouls in the first half. You know, yeah. we're up 23 to 11. And now we're just hacking them and fouling them. They're going to, going to the free throw line. They're making their free throws. So that I just didn't think very smart play by Shed and very smart plays by us. Uh, just fouling too much 
And I know the way we play, the way we're, you know, we're aggressive on defense. Yeah, we're always, we're always going to have a certain amount of fouls, but 15 is a lot. That was kind of my uh, synopsis of the first half. Another key play in the game, uh, you know, Damian gets the end one, but he, then he gets the technical foul. So yeah. instead of being a big momentum booster, it was just deflating. I think we ended up only getting one point over TCU in that whole ordeal. LJ shooting was continued in that game. We did go to a four-guard lineup quite a bit again, and I thought TCU made a concerted effort to get the ball inside when we went to our four-guard lineup. 31-29 at half. I mentioned earlier we gave up 39 in the second half. A couple of key plays in the game. I went back and I looked at some uh, at some film and kind of broke it down. Trevion Tennyson, he's a almost a 49% three-point shooter. Uh, we allowed him to shoot, uh, to make four, and he never had to dribble. It was... Yeah. Open looks. You know, he was just stand and shoot. The first one in the second half, uh, we had actually had Francis on him, and there wasn't even a screen. You know, he passed the ball, and he got, he kind of just drifted to the slot, and they passed it right back. And Javier was probably 15 feet in the paint when he got the ball. And, you know, it was just like shooting ducks in a pond. I mean, Bill, you could have made that shot. <laughs> Because I mean, there was nobody guarding him. I mean, Maybe. Javier was Javier was fi- he was literally fifteen feet in the paint when Tennyson threw the ball and drifted to the slot. You know, uh, Javier just drifted right in the you know right in the middle of the paint and they just threw it right to him and he drained a three. And then the other two threes he had, TCU had been running this same little set all game long where the ball goes back to the slot and the, then the five man steps up and sets a screen. And on two key possessions where Tennyson hit threes, we, we didn't play correctly. One time it was uh, Jamal. One time it was uh, Emmanuel. They're guarding the ball. They didn't fight to get over the top. They just they, they hit the screen and they just stopped instead of fighting over the screen and applying pressure on the hip and, and making it difficult to make a pass. And then both our big men on those two three-point shots didn't step up to the line of scrimmage. So what that ended up being was the ball handler was able to throw a dart a direct line pass, which there's no way you have time to recover on that. You know, one of our guys in the paints got it tagged a roller. So basically when the ball gets passed, you have two on one on, on the weak side and Tennyson ended up being the guy in the corner and they just throw the one more, you know, it's swing, swing shot. And that second one was the killer because Dunn had hit a three to put us up 67, 63. And then we come back and then, Tennyson hits that three in the corner and that put him, you know, now we're 67, 66 and it, it's uh it's game on. So Kelvin's a hall of fame coach. He's got a great staff. I'm sure they looked at this and they, they saw it and they probably just kind of demoralizing knowing that those shots could have been, that was kind of my synopsis of the game. Don't want to take all the material away from you, Bill. We'll talk about the last sequence uh, of the game. Uh, you know, we're up one. Jawan misses a one and one. That was that was a killer. He misses the one and one. TCU comes down. We kind of look like we're in like a three two zone, but we were just matched up man, I think it was. And Damien just gets caught staring at the yeah. ball. That's middle school stuff. And the man he was guarding just goes back door and scores. And then of course she had to inbounds the ball to Damien. We got two timeouts left, but Kelvin in the press conference said, we practice this all the time. And the plan is get the ball to shed. Uh, you run, everybody else runs the sideline. We should have had two guys on one sideline. 
one other perimeter on the other sideline, and then the five man just runs down, gets in the dunker spot. So if Shed drives, big man comes over to help. He can dump it off, you know, just like we did. I think it was the the Memphis game or the uh, Wichita State game where we won on Roberts' uh, putback. Do you guys remember Steve or Bill? I know. Jamal drove yeah. and and he he laid it off to to Roberts. But anyway, make a long story short. Shed inbounds the ball for some unknown reason. He doesn't get it back, and it looks like he's not even calling to get it back. And we all saw what what happened there. There was a, a lot of discussion on some of the message boards and such about Kelvin not calling a timeout. But here's the deal. TCU doesn't have timeouts. If you call timeout, you allow TCU to play any defense they want. They're probably going to yep. go to like a 1-2-2 two, two, three-quarter court press. It could be straight zone. It could be where they're just matching up man-to-man. You don't know what it is, so it it slows your advance down. If you don't call a timeout, you know they're man-to-man, and you know you get the ball to shed. He just goes with the ball. So regardless, it was, it was a loss. It was kind of a soul-crushing loss, uh, wrenching. Yeah, it was, it was uncharted kind of territory for U of H basketball fans, you know, to lose – two very close games on the road, but you know what? That's the big 12 and that's what we signed yeah. up for. And I'd rather have these games than go over to East Carolina and win by 42. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Now that that's great coaching insights on the game. Bill, how about yourself? What was your view? Well, first of all, it was Wichita state Tom. Oh, was it? Okay. Let's just to answer you. You know, there, there are positives and negatives from this game, but I'll tell you this game left me really frustrated I don't necessarily buy into the, it's the Big 12. You know, we, we have to expect things like this. I said earlier on in, in earlier podcasts, be prepared. We're going to lose games. So, you know, I, I know that we're going to lose games. But when we're up four points with under a minute left, I, I don't care if it's the Big 12. I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's home or road. We're a good enough team. We're extremely well-led. Up four with under a minute, we shouldn't lose. And you, you've addressed the tennis and shot, the Dunn falling asleep and, and letting Miller go back door on him to score. And then I think Dunn just seemed a little shell shocked. He got the ball, you know, dribbled up the court and uh, and, and then kind of hesitated. And you know, it made me flash back a little bit to Chris Weber against Carolina in the championship game. Well, if, we hey, Bill, if, Dunn, if Dunn would have done what Chris Weber did, we actually had two timeouts. Yeah, well, <laughs> well that's, that's actually a good point. That's, yeah, that's a very good point. You know, I saw a lot of the stuff about we should change our uh, the coaching style. Kelvin should change what he's doing. And, you know, ah, people, no. people wanting mm-hmm. to jump overboard. I mean, that that's insane. Yeah, that's, that's ridiculous. That's utterly insane. This We should not have lost this game. And, and I was just – I'm still irritated about it, but you know what? It's it's short term. We're gonna be okay. And I'll just Bill, I'll just interject one more time and then I'll let you finish. But those last two three pointers by Tennyson could have been prevented and, and for some reason we just we didn't play the pick and roll correctly. Yeah. And there was no pressure from the guard guarding the ball or the big man stepping up. And we allowed that that dribbler just to make a hook pass to the other guy in the slot on a direct line. And I don't care who you are. You're not going to recover if you allow those type of passes. And yeah, it, 
that to me was the demoralizing part is that we're usually probably the best in the country at guarding the pick and roll. Yeah. Anyway, you can go ahead and yeah, finish, Bill. It was tough. Yeah. I mean, the positives were number one, I think, was Roberts. I mean, he had 20 points, 13 boards, four blocks, five assists. He played a great game. And Tom, I'm not as, and Steve, I'm not as upset about the, the 15 fouls in the first half, all the fouls for the game, because we commit a lot of fouls. We're, we're aggressive, and, and we've talked about this. We, we commit a lot of fouls. But overall, you know, we're an aggressive team, and it's going to happen. What I don't like is when Roberts is going to the basket, and he ends up flat on his back on the baseline, and, and there's no, no whistle blown. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to call a tight game, call a tight game. Don't you, you know, don't let certain things just go. And, and Roberts should have had 25 points, and maybe he doesn't miss that one and one at the end of the game if they call a couple of the fouls on his drives in the paint because he would have shot some free throws before he went to the line. And so I just couldn't believe that Roberts couldn't get a call. I mean, some of the other stuff, fine, but I mean, it's down low. It's big man hitting big man. God, that just, but I was surprised I mean, at that. But that's uh, life on the road in the Big 12, right? You're not going to get those calls, right? It's well, very one-sided, you're, you're, right? It shouldn't be that one-sided. Th- those were... He was hit actually in Kelvin's press conference. Someone asked him about it specifically about Juwan getting hit. And Kelvin said, I'm not going to say anything. But he said to the guy who asked him the question, I'm really glad you brought it up, though. So he knew it. He he was in complete agreement. And I mean, those were. Yeah, that was was Monzo who brought that question up. Yeah. Yeah, those were not touch fouls. Those should have been called. Shed did not have a shed first half. And. By that, he, I mean about five and a half minutes because yeah, of the he didn't even fouls. play. Yeah. yeah, he came out and he was unbelievable in the second half. So mm-hmm. he played well uh, until the end of the game. Actually, Dunn, Dunn was the one that really kept us in it in the first yes, half. After, after yeah. things started to fall apart, he wasn't forcing things. He wasn't putting his head down. He was getting inside. He was getting shots off. He was drawing fouls, pump faking, getting hit, putting shots in. He he had a strong first half. He really kept us alive after Shed went out. They're the number one fast break team in the country, and they did not have a fast break point until well into the second half. So yeah. we did a good job there defensively, and, and that's no surprise. We always yeah. do. And I thought Javier on the boards and playing inside, I thought he played a solid game as well. He did. Absolutely. Uh, the negatives, and, and Tom, you, you've alluded to pretty much all of these. Cryer, 2 of 14 from the field, 1 of 7 from 3. It looks like he really needs to have Shed on the floor to get him the ball where he wants it and, and to get him going and to help him create good shots. And Well, that's about all I'll say about that. Yeah. The other thing I thought, and, and this led to – a lot of the 15 fouls, I thought the guards created too much dribble penetration and they did a great job on, on Emmanuel Miller, their leading scorer. They allowed Anderson, they allowed Jameer Nelson to penetrate and draw fouls. And uh, I think if the opposing guards weren't allowed to, to penetrate like they were, I think the fouls would have been much less. 
and the score would have been much lower. The other thing I took this note, and this was during the first half when Shed was out, we are, I don't want to say completely devoid, but we need some help at backup point guard. And yep. they began to pressure the guards at the eight-minute mark. They pressed. We didn't commit a lot of turnovers in the game. I think only seven, but we struggled offensively and exemplified how much we need shed. Calvin also mentioned, look, we win this game if we hit shots. It's You, know, you don't often hear Calvin talking about offense more than defense. I will say this about Big 12 play. We can't shoot 42% and 22% from three and win games. We were four yep. of 18 from beyond the arc. They were eight of 15. That's tough. We came back against Tech and shot very well, so I know we'll get to that shortly. Yeah, we'll get to that. That's about all I've got. Yeah, I mean, and I don't want to burn too many cycles. I feel like we're spending so much time on our loss this week, but the the starters remain the same, and I think it's going to stick that way, is my guess, for the rest of the season. As you guys stated, we dug ourselves a hole early with Shed getting his second foul, and it was at the 14-23 mark of the first half and was forced to sit the remainder of the half. But as you guys also highlighted, the team started strong, taking a 23-11 lead with both Roberts and Dunn carrying the load. Cryer had to assume the point guard duties the rest of the half, which likely contributed a bit to his shooting woes for the game. Silly fouls let them back in the game where we only led by two at the half. And really the wheels came off for us in the third quartile of the game where we missed defensive assignments on their handful of three-point shooters. I mean, they are not a three-point shooting team. I mean, they're a fast break two-point shooting team. And we did a great job at stopping that. Unfortunately, we let, they only have two good shooters from three and they kept getting open looks which was a shame. Roberts and Dunn were the stars for UH. Roberts with 20 points, 13 boards. And he was a player box score plus minus plus 20 for the game. Dunn had 17 points, five of eight from the field, was a plus 13.5 for the game. And though Shed was a plus 9.4, and we have praised him to no end this season, his absence in the first half and blown defensive assignments in the second really hurt us. And then Cryer, as you guys have mentioned, only had five points and was a minus 6.4 player box score plus minus. You know, from an advanced analytics perspective, on offense, our effective field goal percentage was just bad at 45.3%, well below our norms for the season. And especially bad from three-point range, as you highlighted, Bill, at 22.2%. But we did protect the ball extremely well. I know that was emphasized since they're a fast-breaking team in TCU, which was super important. And we offensive rebounded close to standard, which is going to be an ongoing challenge given the quality of play in the Big 12. On D, to be honest, we did not play well at all. TCU shot well with 51% effective field goal percentage, where we've been only allowing 41.2% for the year. Forced them to 17.8% turnover, which is below our normal rate as well, and that's going to be a challenge in the Big 12. But boy, three-point shooting, which was not the strength of TCU's, killed us, where they shot 53% from three-point range. So just a killer. I mean, I mean, even given a Big 12 opponent, if we're being honest with ourselves, it was our D that let us down in this game, especially from three-point range. It was, again, Tennyson and Miller, only two guys on that team that could shoot 
that were open on Noom. But then there's no time to dwell on losses in the Big 12 because big games come quick. And number 25 ranked Texas Tech with their conference leading 3-0 record was coming to town yesterday evening. But boy, did Coach Sampson have the kids focused and fans got to see the market difference between playing at home versus on the road in this league as our Cougars crushed Texas Tech 77-54. Bill, you can go first on this one. What were your thoughts? Yeah, the game was packed. The game was loud. It was a great atmosphere last night. Yeah, I loved being there. I'll just open it up with this. I do not think, and I would bet money on this every time a six-man team is not going to beat U of H. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. Keep in mind that Kansas State is the same way. and BYU Kansas too, State. right? Kansas doesn't have that deep a bench either. They play a couple more, but I think I said it last time, they've really only able to carry them and they're not carrying <laughs> them well right now. But yeah, a six-man team is its just going to be tough against our relentless pressure. We just took them apart in the second half. In fact, and, and I I should do this, but I'm going to bring up a woman in my office, Leslie Solis, a basketball queen, operations star. I said to her, just as a joke, what's your prediction for tonight? She said, U of H, and she didn't go to U of H. She said, U of H will be up at halftime, and then they'll blow tech out in the second half. So next time I go to <laughs> Vegas, I want her with me, or I at least want her analysis of, everything that's going on. Nice. Uh, the game last night kind of started and ended with Shed. I mean, from the struggles against TCU, he bounced back. He did prove that I think he's the best all-around point guard in the country. Last night absolutely confirmed it. And Tech's strength, as we talked about in the past, really their backcourt, Papa Isaacs and, uh, and Joe Toussaint. And last night, Shed and Cryer, for Cryer's, issues shooting the ball right now he's still playing hard defensively he played great against yeah. Isaacs and shed on Tucson they really took them out and it really really made those guys look pretty pedestrian Roberts had another strong game and I thought Francis and Ramon also played well yep uh, yeah as good as our defense and our rebounding are uh, when we're efficient offensively we are really good and you know, last night was a complete reversal from, from TCU. We shot fifty-two over 52% from the field, 47% from three, and only six turnovers for the game against a kind of a guard-heavy team. When we're shooting like that with our defense, we should never lose. Pugler had some more foul trouble, and he's yep. that seems to be a trend lately, and he'll work his way through it. He'll get through it as he plays more and gets more experience. At least, you know, a lot of it's coming from, from crashing the boards and playing hard defensively. They're not necessarily dumb fouls. They're, they're aggressive fouls. But, I mean, that that's really about it. And, yeah, obviously, Steve, I like to see Tech lose. <laughs> I knew. That's why I wanted to let you go first. Nice. How about you, Tom? I think the key for our offense, and maybe this was Kelvin maybe kind of tweaking his philosophy, but... We were taking shots earlier in the shot clock. Everybody has actions, play sets or whatever to get in their offense. And every team, especially when you get into conference play, scouts that. So very rarely do you know you get like an easy bucket, you know, off the initial initial action or whatever. But a couple times last night we did. 
And, you know, usually we pass those shots up. Kelvin has once mentioned that, you know, the work, the worst shots for his team are between like 20 seconds and 10 seconds on the shot clock. You either want to push the ball up in transition where you have numbers and, you know, and get an open look, or if it's not there, you know, then work the shot clock. But we know how that ends up. A lot of times we'll have an open three off our initial initial action or set, and we don't shoot it, you know, whether it's, uh, whether it's Ramon, whether it's uh, Jamal. And then what happens is that, you know, now you got 10 seconds left, and what do we do is either, you know, isolation or we go to some type of, uh, you know, ball screen action. So maybe that was a tweak by Coach Sampson to attack earlier in the shot clock, take the first shot that presented itself, you know, if that's your role on the team. Uh, we even saw Ramon take, uh, what was it, uh, three threes. That was great. Very happy for, yeah. for Ramon making making that three. I was rooting for him, man. <laughs> yeah, I was rooting too. for him, willing that ball to get in the basket. At the same time, uh, you know, sometimes when you take quick shots, it has a psychological effect on your defense, a negative effect, and your defense is not as tough or gritty. But last night, you know, it didn't have an effect on our defense. So I think the key is is finding a happy medium. Football, they always talk about complementary football. We play complementary basketball. You know, it all starts on the defense end, defense and rebounding. But our offense is complementary to our defense. You know, is we're going to grind it out. Like I said, sometimes it looks like five cats trying to hump a basketball. Uh, <laughs> kind of looks like a cluster. But yeah, I thought that was a, a key. I'm not sure if we varied our pick and roll coverage last night. You did have uh, Jawan switching on some of the ball screens. Didn't see Francis switch or Tugler switch. Looked like we were playing the ball screen the same way, but. A lot of times it looked like when Jawan switched on a ball screen, it gave their guards problems because they had to shoot over a big guy. weren't getting good looks. So it was a buzzsaw in that second half. And like anybody who saw the game or was at the game last night, Jamal shed. Not enough superlatives you can give that kid. He bounced back from kind of two subpar games. And I, I was watching some film of that TCU game. He didn't have his best defensive game, not just on the ball, but – you know, team defense, he, he didn't have his greatest game, but he came back and, like the coach said, Grant McCaslin said that he, he was not going to allow U of H to lose that game. I think, Steve, you texted last night the same thing. Yeah. And I'd, I'd love to see Jamal do that more. Absolutely. We see, we, we'll see it a lot of times in the second half where he'll come in and the offense is stalled and then Jamal takes over, but it'd be great to see him be that aggressive for a whole game. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, and I'll I mean, say one more thing. Uh, yeah. uh, excuse me, Steve, but uh, one more thing about LJ. You know, we, we talked about his shooting woes and all that. You have to give LJ credit, like Bill mentioned. He's still playing really, really good team defense and individual defense. He's not pouting. Body language is, is, is still good. And you have to give LJ uh, credit for that. No, nah, he played well, I thought. Hopefully it's turning around for him at this point. For the Tech game, the story was all about Jamal Shedd, as you guys had highlighted. He had a career game, played 34 minutes, and could not be contained on either side of the ball. Kudos to Coach Sampson for getting him to be more aggressive, looking to score, because it just opened things up for everyone else. Starters remained the same. Things started very evenly, actually, going back and forth in the first quartile of the game, as broken down by Ken Palm. We pulled away a bit in the second quartile playing inspired D 
and as Ramon Walker and LJ Cryer hit some timely threes during that stretch. Then we just pulled away in the second half as Tech's players wore down, as you suggested they would, Bill. Shed was the star of the game. He was an obscene plus 35.5 player box score plus minus for the game. I don't think I've seen that before. Plus 35.5 for the game. And dominated, again, both sides of the ball. He had 29 points, 10 assists, 4 rebounds, and 2 steals. Roberts was active on offense again for the second game in a row and was a plus 13.9 player box score plus minus and Dunn played a second strong game in a row and was a plus 6.6. But I want to highlight two kids that were difference makers and key in this game. Ramon Walker, as you guys had highlighted, finally played some meaningful minutes, hitting a timely three in the first half, rebounding, and was a plus 3.5 after playing 11 critical minutes and we need him to play that type of 10 or so minutes of time per game but really javier francis boy he turned in his fourth straight game in a row since conference play began to contribute big time i was actually the one that predicted tugler would actually start playing more minutes at the five come conference play and boy well, Francis has upped his game since then and came in at a plus 5.4 player box score plus minus. I'm just ecstatic with Javier's play since conference play has begun. As you dig into the advanced analytics from Ken Palm on offense, we had one of our most efficient games of the season. Our effective field goal percentage was at an incredible 58.4%. That's almost 10 points higher than our norm this year. We protected the ball extremely well, turning the ball over only 10.3% of the time. And we're we're very good on that front to begin with. And we bested our norms for the year. And to top it off, we shot 47% from three, well above our 35% norm. On D, though the stats might not show it, we actually played very sound game, staying in front and pressuring tech the entire game. Tech did shoot 48% effective field goal percentage, which is not to our standard this year. They also shot 40.8% from three-point range, which is well higher than our 26.1% rate this season. But we forced them to 23.3% turnovers, which we made a concerted effort, as you highlighted, Tom, to turn into quick points in the game. And we have not been doing that over the years. So that was a really nice change in tactics on offense. So a statement win for our Cougars versus Tech and some really positive signs from Dunn and Francis and even Ramon Walker. But playing in the no conference for old men Big 12, tough upcoming games versus an inspired UCF and at BYU this coming week. But before we get into those games, let's summarize the Big 12 games each of us actually highlighted last week. Tom, you want to go first and give some thoughts on the game that you had highlighted? Yeah, I highlighted OU at KU in, uh, in the fog. Oklahoma played them tough for for majority of uh, you know the first half it was close. They were still within shouting distance uh, in, in the second half, but eventually Kansas kind of Kind of made some plays, and OU made some boneheaded plays, and then <laughs> yeah, and then KU. I didn't see any screw jobs going on in this game yet. Nothing egregious. It was just a little too much Hunter Dickinson, uh, a little too much uh, KJ Adams, 
And, you know, they did get some bench minutes from a couple of guys. They ended up rolling to the victory. All right. How about you, Bill? I had Kansas State Tech, and I like to do the games against our upcoming C of H's opponents. So, so I thought I'd you know look at Tech for this one. At the end, I said I thought Tech would win seventy four seventy one. Both teams are scoring in about. Like I said, both teams are extraordinarily thin, and uh, Tech did win sixty fifty nine. Tech was down eleven at half and outscored State thirty eight twenty six in the second half. I'd mentioned that the backcourts were going to be what to focus on. Tyler Perry and Cam Carter for State versus Pop Isaacs and Tech. And Perry and Carter scored 31 of Kansas State's 59 points. Isaac and Tucson actually didn't have a big big scoring game, scoring 20. Kansas State had 23 minutes off the bench, 17 from one player. Tech had 43 minutes off the bench. 32 by one player, wow. Chance McMillan. So these are really two teams that only play six. I think the the key to this game, Kansas State was up late in the game. It was going to sound a little bit like us and TCU. They were up six points late in the game. For the game, Tech only committed nine turnovers, whereas Kansas State committed 18, and several of them came down the stretch. They did have some missed shots. Toussaint hit a big three and they ended up winning. In the end, with six-man teams, I don't see either one of these teams challenge for a Big 12 title. They're going to wear down. If they either one of them suffers one more injury, it, it's just going to kill them. Which brings me up to the point is that Tech was down by 20-something last night with like a minute and a half left. McCaslin still had Pop Isaacs out there. I, saw, yeah, I was yeah. shocked. What, what if... What if one of those guys rolls his ankle? Now you're down to five. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I, yeah, I was watching that as well, and I actually commented on that. I said I couldn't believe that Isaacs was playing at, at the end of the game with the score what it was. That, that was crazy on a thin team. Yeah. On a team yeah, with no was, bench. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, so for me, I zeroed it on the Cincy Baylor game, which Baylor held on to win 62-59 game was as advertised very close the entire game and just a fun matchup they were tied 27 27 at the half then a game of runs in the second half since he actually took an eight point lead early second then in the fourth quartile of the game baylor took a nine point lead then we had yet another furious comeback by cincy towards the end of the game though ray j dennis played a major role in the overall game for baylor with a plus 15.3 player box score plus minus it was actually freshman walter that scored 14 points in the second half that was key to the win what i will highlight for this game is that since he appears to be for real this season and Wes miller has got them playing well dan skillings was a plus 25.5 player box score plus minus for the game and someone we're gonna have to look out for when we play them so now let's get to the game preview for upcoming UH-UCF matchup. UCF. Hey, Steve. Yeah? Just real quickly, I, I wanted to give you some credit. If I'm not mistaken, you had predicted Baylor to win that game by three points, so you hit it right on the head. Yeah. Lucked out on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. But, yeah, as, as we go towards the UCF game, I mean, UCF just won at UT, which was just phenomenal. 
Bill, you want to make a run at the, the upcoming game versus UCF? Sure. UCF, they're 11-5 and five right now. They've got the win over Kansas. They've got the win at Texas. As this season plays out, I'm not quite as impressed about a win over Texas. <laughs> True. But, uh, yeah, I mean, two good wins. They got crushed by Kansas State. And they, but just recently they lost by five, only by five uh, against BYU. So they're, they're playing competitively right now. Yeah, they're, they're playing yeah. well. Johnny Dawkins, obviously the head coach, he's been there for quite a while. We've had a lot of familiarity with him uh, in the American. And uh, so they're off to a good start. They, you know, like I said, 11 and five, but they really did not have any type of a win worth mentioning until Cam. But they seem to be playing a lot better now. They've kind of had a two-man team up until recently. Their point guard is six-one, Darius Johnson. Uh, he's their only returning starter. He's averaging this season fourteen and a half points, three and a half assists per game. Their best player is a transfer from Ball State. He's a six-four shooting guard, Jalen Sellers. Uh, he's averaging seventeen and a half points, four rebounds. He for some reason and. I don't know if he got into Dawkins' doghouse, but he came off the bench against Texas for the first time this year and still played 33 minutes, but uh, scored, led him in scoring with 24 points. Those two are their scorers. They've got a transfer from Missouri, Kansas City named Shamari Allen. He's a 6'4 shooting guard. He actually scored 17 against UT, so he stepped up. And then they've got another guy named C.J. Walker, a uh, nice name, uh-huh. six, six, eight forward. And he was injured for almost all of last year. I think this may have been his fifth or possibly sixth game. He's only averaging seven points, four and a half rebounds, not shooting well, but he had a good game against UT last night. It, it sounds like he's starting to work his way back into the lineup and play well. And, and like I said, He's a transfer from Oregon, and uh, you know the other transfers, they've just got the one returning starter. So it sounds like Johnny Dawkins is starting to get them to play much better together. And But the key is going to be their backcourt, which is Johnson and Sellers. And once again, that matches up with our strength, with Shed and Cryer and with Sharp. I think that we'll defend them well. They are not a great three-point shooting team. So it, it's just going to be a matter of, once again, uh, defending the dribble penetration, keeping them off balance. And I think Shed, Cryer, and Sharp will, will do a good job of that. Both Texas and Kansas shot 50% against UCF and both lost, which is crazy. They also out-rebounded Texas last night, 37-22. to 22. Yeah. Like, how does that happen? Crazy. But, uh, I think because their strength is really those two guards going up against much better guards, in my opinion, I think we win this game by at least 20. I'd say 74-52. Wow. You're predicting a big win. Okay. Yeah, I think this. I, I think we take them apart. Holy cow. Okay. How about you, Tom? I just hope Bill's a prophet. Yeah. Cause <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> I'm looking at every game. It's like it's so going to be a nail biter. I don't know if I, I, don't, I don't know <laughs> my, my nerves can 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 take this, but looking at UCF, uh, I had them. I think in our 
preseason show, I think I had them 13th or 14th, uh, yeah, Oklahoma State and UCF. And you look at the transfer portal, what they brought in. I thought Johnny Dawkins would be on the hot seat this yep. year. And we're still only four games you know, into an 18-game league schedule, as Bill alluded to, you know, that Texas win, you know, some of the shine might be off that game in a month and a half. We'll, we'll just have to see. Uh, no, no chance. The I'll, Kansas be, win I'll be traveling for that game. I'm coming okay. into that UT game. <laughs> yeah, I'll be there too. So <laughs> I'll be there for that one, the Iowa State game. But, you know, they beat Kansas at home, and we just don't know yet how good UCF is going to be. Like I said, I hope, Bill, I hope you're a prophet. I hope we we win by, you know, 18 or 20. But at this point – UCF plays well against soft teams. Just, <laughs> yeah, just, just don't know. Uh, the, yeah, beating Texas on the road and beating Kansas. It's, yeah, uh, it's two team more team wins. Yeah. yeah, right. A team we thought was going to be – Last. <laughs> the bottom of the barrel. I know. Yeah. I mean, if, if you look with, at the – <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll get to BYU. But, you know, if you look at the advanced analytics, we're back to number one in Kempom. UCF's number 71. We've got the 11th adjusted offensive efficient team in the country, while UCF is number 17th in adjusted defensive efficiency. On the flip side, we're number one in defensive efficiency, while UCF is at 175 in adjusted offensive efficiency. UCF's just a bad shooting team at 256th in effective field goal percentage, but are an excellent offensive rebounding team like ourselves, ranked number 33rd in the country. And they try to score quick and in transition on steals and offensive rebounds, ranking 11th and 9th across both. So, you know, very similar to TCU in that respect. They do turn the ball over a lot, though, ranking 230th in turnover percentage. And from a style of play perspective, they emphasize the two-point play and free throws for their scoring versus the three-point shot. So the Cougars need to be careful with fouls during this game. Then you match that up against our number one effective field goal percentage D that defends every shot, number one defensive team in defending the two-point shot, steals and block percentage and i think our d matches up well with how ucf wants to run their offense on the other side ucf is an excellent at defending the two-point shot ranking 37th in defensive two-point percentage but really elite at forcing turnovers ranking 10th in ken palm and block shots ranking third the key stat to look out for is whether we're going to be able to offensive rebound since UCF is number six in Kem Palm for defensive rebound percentage. So another challenging day for the Cougs trying to score. Based on metrics, this should be around an eight-point win. Uh, but being a home game, playing a UCF team that just won big on the road but are traveling yet again, I actually expect us to win by 12 points. Not, not at your 20-point clip there bill but i I think 22 i think 12 points and i'll be a happy camper here now let's get to the game preview for the upcoming uh byu matchup tom why don't you kick things off and let us know what you think here this is bill's team here bill uh steve and i both had byu uh really really far down i kind of laughed at their roster it was just to me it just looked (laughs) like a bunch of looked like a bunch of role players you know, that average, like, uh, you know, 2.2 points a game, et cetera. Yeah. But, yeah, except they're for good. Bill, they're one of the surprise teams so yeah. far. And we're going to be playing them on the road. They have really good shooters. 
Yes. Uh, one of them is uh, Nell. I can't remember who, who it was, but he had nine threes against somebody. And I can't remember who they were playing. Maybe be Cincinnati, maybe. But I remember he had nine threes, and it came down to crunch time. He was on the bench. So I don't, I don't know yeah. what went on there. Strange. I don't know if you guys remember that game. I do. Mark Pope. Uh, really, really good coach on the offensive end. They run good stuff on offense. Uh, they do a lot of what's called like zoom action with their big man. Their big men are skilled, which means they can run this zoom, which is like a, a dribble handoff, and then they can pop. You know, they can ball screen and pop. So this will present some different challenges for our big guys in the pick and roll defense. You know, that's one way you can attack a pick and roll defense uh, like we play is to pop or short roll the man and. And BYU has some big men that can do that. They can hit the, the three-point shot, or they can short roll, catch the ball, and then you have like a three-on-two on the backside. So this is going to be a test for our defense, especially on the road. Yeah, yeah definitely. How about you, Bill? This is your team. Tell us what you think. Well, this isn't my team. I just I, I thought <laughs> with, with all the players they had back from last year and a 19-win team, I thought, well, they they got to be better. And uh so far, so good for them. Fourteen and three uh, in conference. They're two and two. The wins are at UCF by five, and they just blew out Iowa State by fifteen. Yeah. And by the way, Tom, the the one player you mentioned, Trevin Nell, he's got mm-hmm. a foot injury. He did not play in that game. Really? He was he was you, out. You didn't, you didn't see that. You didn't see that fist pump uh, on the radio. Uh. <laughs> yeah. But no, no, I, I would no. never wish I would never wish an injury on anybody. <laughs> well, it's not a bad foot injury. It sounds like he's about 50-50, maybe 60-40 to play in their game on Saturday against Tech, which is the game I'll be it sounds like he'll be back for take that for what it's worth. Their third loss outside of the two conference losses is to Utah. I think they're a little bit like Utah without, you know, the two seven footers. They move the ball well. They pass. They hit shots against Iowa State, and, and the final was eighty-seven seventy-two. They took thirty-five threes, and there were twenty-one assists in that game. I mean, this is not a one-on-one team. They pass the ball. They move. Yeah. Like you said, they they pick. Uh, they hit shots. When they're healthy, they have eleven players that play at least ten minutes a game. They have got a deep team. They do. The other thing is their wing players and their guards are all big. Nobody particularly small. Uh, Jackson Robinson is a 6'7 shooting guard. He averages 14.5 points. He's a 40% three-point shooter. He had 15 against Iowa State. Like I said, Nell, Nell didn't play, but he's he's shooting 49% from three, 50% from the field. He's 6'5". Spencer Johnson, 6'5 shooting guard, he had – 28 against Iowa State in 35 minutes. He also had nine rebounds and five assists. That's a 6'5 shooting guard. And he was averaging 11 going into the game. Yeah, BYU is going back 40, 45 years, you know, of basketball. They've always had tall guards, uh, tall, skilled guards. Big men are usually pretty skilled. Yeah, That Iowa State game, that was an onslaught. 87 points against ISU's vaunted. Defense. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, Noah Waterman's six eleven, small forward. He's kind of like the the seven footer from Utah. He's six eleven, but 
He took eight threes against Iowa State. He had 18 points in that game. I mean, even their point guard, his name is Dallin Hall. He's 6'4". He's the smallest player that plays any significant minutes for them. And uh, he's a great distributor of the ball. He had eight assists against Iowa State. He's an absolutely mediocre shooter. He's the one guy that can't shoot on that team, but he distributes the ball. But he went four of four from the field, three of three from behind the arc against Iowa State. So it was one of those nights where they were hitting everything. I mean, they're a good all-around team at at both ends of the court. They shoot 48%, 37% from three. They move the ball well. They're not overly athletic. I think that where we're going to have a big advantage is in getting the ball inside to Juwan. I think he could just take them apart with his strength. Yeah, they're, if they're, I, if I, go ahead, go ahead, Bill. I was, I'm just going to conclude it by saying they're a good team. They have not encountered our defense yet. I think we end up winning 75-67. We win by eight. Wow. Yeah, and my comment, guys, was if you want to compare teams, think of Penn, but with a little bit better athletes. That's who BYU is. Wow, a little bit better. Guys. Similar, similar offenses. They run the zoom action with the big man. And yeah, that's that's what I would I would compare them to is a more athletic pin team. So the advanced analytics say something different. I mean, we're number one in Ken Palm. Man, BYU is number nine. I mean, they're the second highest in Ken Palm within the Big Twelve. Right? For us. We're 11th in adjusted offensive efficiency. They're 8th in adjusted defensive. On the flip side, we're, again, number one in adjusted defensive efficiency. They're number 15th in adjusted offensive efficiency. BYU will be a super difficult team to defend. They're number 7 in effective field goal percentage, number 2 in 3-point scoring offense, plus back that up as the number 36th offensive rebounding team on Ken Palm. That's just going to be really difficult to defend. And they'll try to speed things up on offense, trying to get their shooters open from three. Then you match that up against our number one effective field goal percentage D that defends every shot and number 13th D in defending the three. And something's going to have to give on our side or theirs. It'll be a fascinating, fascinating matchup. And on the other side, BYU is phenomenal at defending every shot. Number nine in defensive field effective field goal percentage, but especially on threes where they're ranked third in the country. But they don't block many shots or steal the ball, and so the Cougs should have an easier time protecting the ball on offense, but BYU is number six at defensive rebounding. So key thing to watch is whether we can offensive rebound or not in this game. On the road, based on the metrics, this should be around a two-point win, but... (laughs) I still have to admit, I'm still in denial that BYU is as good as they are. So I'm, I'm expecting a six-point win with another grinded-out physical game like Iowa State. But boy, if they beat us, then I'm a, I'm a believer at that point. Okay, so now what are the other Big 12 games that fans should pay attention to this week that are of interest? Bill, you want to go first on this one? Sure. Since we've got BYU coming up, I've got BYU Tech. The game is after our game, our UCF game. It's on Saturday, 5 o'clock. Yes, if you're interested in scouting BYU prior to the game. <laughs> you know, for Tech, it's Isaacs, Toussaint, Washington, Walton, and Wilson. They're the thin team. It's really those five. 
they're more athletic. Steve, you were kind of alluding to it. You know, no steals, no block shots. They're Tech's a more athletic team. They'll be able to create some of their own shots, particularly Isaacs and Tucson off the dribble. And, and they've got the seven footer Washington inside. You know, that he'll probably do some damage. But I think BYU's perimeter height, their ball movement, their depth, and especially if Nell is back. I think this makes it a really tough defensive matchup for Tech. I think unless BYU goes ice cold from the field, I just can't see BYU losing this game. I have them winning 11, 81. Yeah, good call. How about you, Tom? Which game are you watching? I'm going to watch Kansas at West Virginia, and there's only one reason is because I want some schadenfreude. I I like to watch (laughs) Kansas. I just... I want Kansas to lose, and I want to watch it. That's the only reason. That's the only reason. Well, are, That's the are, only reason. Are you picking uh, an upset win? In Probably not, but, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, in West Virginia, you know, let's see if they get better. We talked about how bad they looked against us. I mean, we just, like, blew them out of the water. So and they did get a win against Texas, Texas. at home. I know. So, uh, yeah, I, I just – I like watching Kansas, and, and I hope they lose, and I get enjoyment out of it. Nice, nice. So I'm picking the TCU-Iowa State game. Both teams are still ranked. Both are 2-2 two and two in conference, and both are coming off a loss this week. This should be a good game with the game flow very similar to our game versus TCU. TCU likes to run, get things in transition, or off offensive rebounds, why ISU likes to grind you down on D like we do. Both teams focus on the two-point shot versus the threes, and both play stellar D. So this should be a fun one. Based on metrics, this should be around a one-point win for TCU at home. I'm in agreement and expect a one- to two-point win by TCU playing at home. So that's it for episode 12 of the No Conference for Old Men podcast. Hope you all enjoyed it. And again, would really appreciate it if folks would follow, subscribe, or collect our podcast, depending on your podcast platform of choice. We are also available via the Republic of Football podcast feed from the folks at Dave Campbell's Texas Football as the only basketball-focused podcast on that feed. Or at gokus.com website for those that prefer to digest the content that way. We appreciate the continued support and loyalty from all. And we're going to keep trying to provide the type of deep college hoops insight for Cougar and Big 12 fans everywhere. Also, please give us a follow on our Twitter account, No Conference for Old Men. Thank you all again for listening. And episode 13 should come out next Friday morning. So please be on the lookout to download and listen to the next episode. Thanks again, everyone.